Um, at the end of uh, service, uh, I'm going to have a couple of individuals uh, that want to volunteer to distribute. We have a nice uh, little gift for for our fathers, and today's Father's Day. And uh, when we think about uh, fathers, um, there, there's, there's a lot to think about. Um, you know, we can start talking about uh, what we think is wrong in the country. We can talk about the absence of fathers. We can talk about all of those things, but, but before we even start talking about uh, any of the problems of what, he, you know, with fathers or anything of that nature, we, we have to know what God talks about with fathers. What his expectation of fathers is. Uh, he, he has a very specific one. He has a very clear desire for us as Christians, how we should behave and, and, and with fathers. There's many things that are mentioned about it, about how to be a good father. But uh, I want to focus this morning on, on a pattern. And this is the pattern of fatherhood. The pattern of fatherhood that we receive is obviously from Scripture. So as an example, if you, let's just take any of the Pauline epistles. Go over to, oh, the book of Romans. Find the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1. And if you jump down here to verse 7, and in all of the Pauline epistles, you're going to find this. Paul always has this greeting. He, he addresses the individuals. He usually says, grace be unto you, um, things of that nature. And in verse 7, here he is after he's gone through a, a few verses about his salutation to this church that's at Rome. He, he says in verse 7, he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go to any of these books, you go through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Philemon, you're going to find that pattern there. And that pattern that is there is very specifically a pattern that says God is our Father. Now, again, we have to understand that. If you're a saved, born-again child of God, he is your father. Now, he told very clearly that the Pharisees, who were not following God, that their father was the devil. So we're either going to be a father, uh, we're either going to have God as our father, or we're going to have someone or something else try to be a father unto us. So if you are a saved, born-again child of God, there is a pattern in our lives that God sets forth in Scripture about how to be a father, and it originates with him and his example. And I want to see that this morning. In one of the most powerful chapters in the book of Psalms, he goes through and he begins to describe God's character. And we find there that he references fathers and the expectation that God has and I want us to see that. Before we turn there into to the book of Psalms, I want us to open with a word of prayer and we will get going. Dear Heavenly Father, I think again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again for all that you've given unto us. I thank you, Lord, for my father and uh, how you used him to teach me and to guide me, to show me the godly work ethic, uh, to teach me how to be a godly man. And Lord, even though many times with our parents uh, there are failings, 
Lord, I know that it is true, and it's a very, a very accurate statement to say, He loves you as His Lord and Savior. And Lord, that is the one great thing that He has taught to me. And Lord, I pray that we would retain that, that I would retain that, that I would teach it to my own children, and Lord, that they would in turn teach it to theirs. That Lord, it would be about our Father, who is you, that is praised, that is worshipped, that is lifted up. I pray we would do that this morning, Lord, as we seek to know more about you, more about your expectations of us, more from your scripture. And Lord, again, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray this time is pleasing unto you. And I ask this and pray it in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you will, turn over to the book of Psalms in Psalms chapter 103. Psalm chapter 103. And in, in, in this passage, we've got, uh, 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 these, uh, these verses, 22 verses in total in Psalm 103. And it speaks a great volume of God's character towards us. God's character towards Israel. God's character towards believers. And throughout it, we find this, uh, this mentality of bless the Lord. He mentions it many times in the beginning and in the end of this chapter. So the bookends of the chapter are bless the Lord, bless the Lord. And he teaches us how to bless the Lord in this. And if you will, in in, in verse 1 of Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. If we jump down to the end of it, uh, uh, in the verse 20, he says, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So in order for our souls to bless God, there's a couple of things that we see that are principles here. First and foremost, as I see in the end part of this, he talks about obedience. Doing what God says. Listening to what God says. In in these two verses, in verse 20 and in verse uh, 21, very clearly we see that that is the pattern about how we bless God. That's how we please him. That's how we please him. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. And you find in verse 1, it says, all that is within me. So when we start thinking about this process of how we bless the Lord, how we bless God, uh, it, it begins with giving all of us, surrendering all of us, being fully yielded to him. No area in our life can, 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 can be removed from that. He says, all that is within me should be blessing God with my actions, my deeds, my words, my thoughts. If all of that is there, then there is a blessing that is being given. Now, it kind of seems weird that we would be able to bless the Lord, but he makes it very clear this is how we go about doing this. But he says in the second verse, in, in verse 2, he says, and forget not all his benefits. One of the key areas to bless the Lord is don't forget him. Don't forget him. You know, sometimes we forget dates. Sometimes we forget it's Father's Day. Sometimes we forget it's Mother's Day. Sometimes we forget birthdays. Sometimes we forget special occasions. <coughs> Excuse me. 
special occasions. Sometimes we forget whatever it may be. Sometimes we forget to do something that somebody asked us to do. Whatever it may be, we forget. But here, in order to bless the Lord, it comes down to making a purposed decision to continue to remember. To continue to remember. And there's a reason why all of this exists. As we get through the rest of the chapter here in verse 3, here he is talking about the Lord and what he does. He says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. There, there, there I mean, right there we see some huge benefits, right? He just talked about that, not forgetting those things. And here he is reminding us of all these benefits. But this is not just the benefits. This is the character of God. This is the character of God. The character of God that we find in this passage is forgiveness, healing, restoration. All of these things that are necessary. The blessings that he gives us. All of this is surrounded by who God is and why he is God. As we continue down a little bit further in verse 6, he says, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He's talking about the proper judgment of the Lord as part of his character. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. He is not somebody that conceals himself. He is somebody that reveals himself. You know, there's one important factor that we as Christians have to know. God will reveal himself to us. We have to open our eyes and look and specifically seek him to see it. We can't can't ignore it. Did he not make that known? I mean, you would have to be completely physically blind, deaf, and completely unaware of what was going on when the Red Sea splits apart and you're walking across on dry land. You would have to be the most obtuse individual in all the world to not understand that was and only is by the power of God. So what do we find here? We find that God is continually revealing himself. He's making himself known. He's making himself available. In verse 8 it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And we praise God our Father for being that. I want to make sure I make that statement very well known. We praise God our Father for his characteristics of what? Being merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. We begin to start seeing here that there's a bit of a pattern that is being developed. Forgiveness. And again, restoration. And again, merciful, gracious, and slow to anger. We find this pattern coming forth throughout this of who he is. In verse 9, he says, He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Aren't you glad that when you do something wrong and God gets angry at you, that he doesn't remain angry? There's a lot of angry gods out there. I've I've read a book of, of a religion where there's this God that is just angry. And he's angry all the time. He's angry at man. He's angry at woman. He's angry at children. He's angry at beasts. He's angry at everyone. And he, and the whole concept is behind it 
this God says he wants everyone to go to hell. Now, I don't find that in, 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 in the Bible. You know what Jesus Christ, God, my God says? He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So much so that he gave his own life on the cross. This other God didn't do that. He just gets angry and smites people. Proclaims judgment and war. And has others, human beings, destroying other human beings in his name. That's not the same God I worship. That's not my God. He's not always going to chide. He doesn't keep his anger forever. He says in verse 10, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You know what? If you're a person that underlines passages in the Bible or puts little stars by it, you need to put a star by that one. Because let me ask you, do you understand the concept of that verse? He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Are you getting what you deserve? Are you, are, 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 are you gonna perish and die in a devil's hell? Are, 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 are you going to receive the punishment of your sins? Aren't you glad God is a merciful and gracious God that is slow to anger, will not always chide, and doesn't keep his anger forever, but is one that is willing to forgive, to restore, to heal, to bring us back, and to give us benefit after benefit after benefit after benefit, and doesn't treat us the way that we should be treated as disgusting, vile sinners that we would be? And he takes us and he says, you're a child of God. And he says, you're a saint, as we read over there in Romans chapter 1. And he loves us and he cares for us and he provides for us and he protects us. We have a home in heaven. And above all, we have the forgiveness of sins. We don't, we're not getting what we deserve, folks. If you're a saved, born again child of God and you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've called upon his holy name, guess what? You are not going to receive the, 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 the reward for your iniquities. Because the wages of sin is death. You've received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I am so thankful and so grateful for that. But as we continue through this, and we're getting here into, again, one of the, the the greatest portions of Scripture, he says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Talking about how voluminous his mercy is towards us. And look at what he says in verse 12. As far as east is from west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And I like to think about that as far as east is from west. You can keep going east and you will never start going west. North and south, it's a different story, but east and west is not. And that's as far as removed as it is from us. And as we move down to this next part here, he starts talking about fathers. Now, we've already seen the pattern of who God is and his characteristics. And in verse 13, he mentions fathers and he says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. This morning, right there, is the principal verse 
of this message. God has set forth the expectation of what a father should be. That father, as he said here, this expectation that he parallels with his own characteristics is that a father is one of compassion. A father is one that is familiar with the sufferings of those that are his children and has the sympathy and is the awareness of all sorts of distress and and, and problems. The problem that we see in today's day and age is we are not teaching fathers to exercise compassion. We're not teaching them to have the compassion and the mercy of God our Father who is that pattern. And he says, like as a father pitieth his children. And he relates it to say, this should be a natural tendency. This should be a natural thing that a father is going to have pity upon his children. We live in a day and age where we look at that word pity today and we despise it. People don't want to be pitied. Don't they say, I don't want your pity? When we look at somebody and we say they're pitiful, we use that as a degrading term. But to be pitiful means that somebody is exercising a great, great grossness, if you will, of pity towards a person. You are full of pity, meaning that that pity is being put upon you because somebody has come along and is sympathizing with you. Are not we glad that as Christians today, we can say that our God pitied us in that he understood our suffering, he understood what we were going through, and he said, I will send myself to die in their place for their sin. Our God is so great and full of compassion. And I dare say today, fathers, compassion is the key to exercising the expectation that God has for you as a father to your children. We have to be able to demonstrate that. Some people say, well, a father's got to be strong. Yes, of course. A, a, a father has to be has to be one that is wise. Well, yes, of course. But all of that, without the compassion of Christ, without the charity that he talks about in First Corinthians thirteen, amounts to little in a child's life. My 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 dad. I saw him the other day. I know he loves me. I know he cares for me. You know, when I go and see my father, I always treasure the fact that he comes up and he hugs me. I treasure the fact that he that he gives me a kiss on the cheek. You're like, well, you're a 48-year-old you know, don't you dare rob me of that. My father loves me. Just like I know my father in heaven loves me. And he demonstrates that over and over and over again. 
And what, what I find here is I find that in this passage, there is this pattern that God sets about fathers, about how to exercise this pity, this compassion, this care in a child's life. Take a look at what he says down here as, as we move further into verse 14. It says, for he knoweth our frame. God knows our frame. He knows exactly how frail we are. Father, you should know exactly what frame your child has. You should know the strengths. You should know the weaknesses. You should know where they need support. You should know where they need reinforcement. You should know the frame of that child God has given you. Just like God knows you. You should know where they're susceptible to temptation. And you should come alongside and you should support them. You should bolster them. You should help them. You should strengthen them. Because strength applied without specificity is, is wasted effort. If you apply strength to where the strength is needed, then the structure becomes sound. You apply it to somewhere else, you create a drag and a strain in other areas. And here's God saying he knows our frame. He knows our frame. You want to pity a child? You want to have that compassion and care for the child and the sympathy and the understanding towards them? Then it comes down to knowing who they are. Aren't you glad God knows you? He knows the hairs on your head. He knows how many are absent. He knows how many went down the drain this morning. He knows how many are laying on the floor. He he knows all of that. He keeps track of those things. And when we start thinking about this right here, you know what is very clear? God knows who we are. Look at what he says. He knoweth our frame in verse 14. It says, he remembereth that we are dust. We're dust. I've mentioned this before. You know what the the mineral composition of the human body is? Is worthless. I I looked it up the other day, and I think now because of inflation, I think it's a little bit more. (laughs) I think maybe we're worth somewhere around like four or five dollars instead of like a couple of dollars that we were, you know, with our mineral uh, composition of what we are. But it's not the physical composition of what we are. It's the soul that is valuable. It's the soul that is lost that creates a hardship, that creates a problem. Does he not say, uh, talking about the man that loses his own soul, if he gains the world and loses his own soul, he has nothing. So it's not about the physical. So what we find here is he knows exactly our composition. He knows exactly what we're made of. He understands the frailty of our structure. He understands all of that. And he understands that we are human beings that he created, that he made. And he does not put upon us any undue expectation that is above and beyond what we are capable of struck, of holding, what we are capable of doing, and what dust is capable of doing. That's, that, that's, that's our God. Fathers, I dare say when we look at that, when we look at our children, don't put an undue expectation upon them. 
Don't put something on them that they cannot attain. Put upon them the things that God has expectations of you in your life. The God, God's expectations of you is to please Him. God's expectations of you is to fear Him. God's expectation of you is to do His commandments. That's God's expectation. You take and you put that same expectation upon the child. Sometimes we put standards that are too high for them. Sometimes we put expectations upon them that are unattainable. And I see the world do this all the time. I see it happen in, in, in businesses. Managers come in and they put expectations upon employees that can never be obtained. And then they continue to use that as a domineering, browbeating, uh, 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 bludgeoning tool to get them into submission so that they will have authority over them to do whatever they want them to do. That's not how you lead people. That's how you create oppression. You want to lead people? You lead them in light. You lead them in righteousness. You lead by setting an example. You lead by making sure that you communicate those expectations and at the same time make sure those expectations are attainable. You know, it is. we are all capable of pleasing God. Do not fool yourself and say, well, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Well, I just, I just don't know, I just don't know how to please God. Well, he's given us a whole book to tell us how to do it. Okay. So we can do that. We can please God. We can fear him. We just talked about what fearing God means the other day. We can do that. We also, you know what else we can do? We can follow his commandments. We can obey. We're capable of doing that. We know that. Why? Because we obey. For the most part, everybody in here is a law-abiding citizen. Hopefully. <laughs> if you robbed the bank this morning, please uh, uh, do not tithe on that, all right? <laughs> I don't want any part of that. <clears throat> I don't want any part of that. <clears throat> you give that to the IRS. <laughs> they'll, they'll handle that. But, you know, we're capable of obeying, right? We may not always like obeying. We might do things in compliance, but when we're obedient, and this is the whole duty of man according to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, uh, and is the expectation in Revelation 4, 11, we, 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 we get this concept. That's something that we can do because he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. He's giving you access to the power, the ability, the knowledge, the wisdom, and the capability of doing it. We just have to access it. We have to receive that benefit. Fathers, understand that expectation. Know your kids. Remember who they are. We see the next verse here in verse uh, uh, verse 15. He says, As for man, his days are as grass, and as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. You know what? I I, I like that because this reminds us, dads. You know, our children, they grow. You want to nurture them to grow. You want to make sure that they're growing in Christ. 
You know, the Lord knows, you know, what happens with grass. It withers and fades as the heat is going to begin to come here in the next few weeks or whatever it may be. As we move into summer, our yards will turn from that lush green wet grass that's somewhat swampy and it will move into that dry hard ground of brittle grass that hurts when we step on it. And we praise the Lord because we don't have to mow anymore because we don't have to pay gas money for the lawnmower. <laughs> we, we just look at it and we mow it down to the stubble. But you know what? God looks at us as grass. You can tell the difference between healthy grass and unhealthy grass. One that's watered and one that's fed. One that's cared for. One where it's thatched. One where all the deadness is removed and the ground is open and ready to receive. And the roots are, are there ready to, 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 to just take in whatever goodness comes from the hand of the person that's, that's caring for the garden, caring for the lawn. We know the difference. Fathers, when you look at your children, you should be able to identify that. You should be able to look at them as that blade of grass and say, is it growing? Is it withering? Has it been cut down? Is something blocking it from growing? We look at the flowers. We watch them bloom. Look at the beautiful flowers that we have planted in the front, in the back here, the church. We see all of those, and we see them grow, and we we see them come, and and, and there's water that's given to them, and care, and 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 you know what happens? They they're just so beautiful to look at. We need to remember, fathers. Our children are like that field. What we plant in that field is how those children are going to grow. What seed we cast out there, what food we put out there, the type of water that we use is going to determine how that child grows. That responsibility is upon us. That responsibility is upon us. God remembers this. Because in verse 16, he says, For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. And I want to say this. Fathers, parents, moms, this goes for you too. Remember this. You've only got them a short time. You've only got them a short time. Have them grow the way that God would have that field look. One that is, you know, I love it when when the tulip seasons come. Man, isn't it just, I I mean, we've got stuff over here in Woodland that you can see, and you go to those tulip fields, and you just stand out there, and you just see all those fields of flowers. I mean, isn't that an amazing thing? Is there anybody that hates looking at that? If there, if you do, there's a problem with your heart, okay? <laughs> there's something seriously wrong with you. <clears throat> but you take a look at that and you see all those beautiful flowers out there and you just can't help but smile. 
You just can't help but just enjoy that. But I'll tell you this, you know, you know what? What happens after a short period of time? They fade. The petals fall off and they blow away. And God knows that this is kind of what man is like. And we as human beings, as, as, as fathers, need to understand that we have a short period of time to teach these children, to instruct them in the ways of the Lord, to lead them into paths of righteousness. And even if we haven't done that our whole lives, we still have time and opportunity. Why? Because we're hearing it today. Even if you have one day to do it, it's still better than not doing it at all. Teach them. Teach them. I understand that their growth is very clearly their own responsibility. I understand that. But fathers, set the example. Set the example. You set the example by making sure that God is God of the home, is the God of your life before you try to teach a child to follow God. You teach him by showing it the pattern in your life. The pattern in your life. You go over to 1 John, and in 1 John chapter 2, over there, I believe it's verses 13 to 14, he talks about, uh, he says, fathers, uh, and he repeats it twice. He says, fathers, you've known God from the beginning. I'm paraphrasing here. And then he talks about the young, the young ones. And he says, you've known God from the beginning. And what do we see? We see that pattern. We see the pattern of growth where they began to learn God from the beginning. And the, the young men, the young ones in the church, they began to receive that same instruction so that they would know God from the beginning. So that in turn, when they were fathers, the pattern would repeat itself in a godly principle manner. That's what God expects of us. That's what God desires of us as fathers. Grow them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In verse 17 of Psalm 103, here it says, But mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. You know what we find here? We find one of the most important things that we as fathers can do. As God has set the pattern of fatherhood by Him being our Father, our pattern that we follow as fathers is mercy. Is mercy. And you cannot have mercy if the other things up above are not understood. If you don't remember their frame. If you don't know who they are. If you, if you don't understand the, the temptations, the problems that they go through. If you're not dedicated to their growth and to, 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 uh, to, to, if you will, being raised up in the beauty of the Lord. If you're not doing that, then mercy is going to be a hard thing to understand. And look at how his mercy endures. Mercy for God is from everlasting to everlasting. You ever think about everlasting to everlasting? Where, what, 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 in the beginning, it says God created the heavens and the earth, right? 
What was before the beginning? Eternity that way. Okay, mine just went... (laughs) Right? Okay, so he gives us this span of time that we call the human timeline. 7,000 years of existence. We go through all of it. Not billions and billions and billions of years, okay? 7,000. 7,000 according to Scripture. And you go through the 7,000 years, we're right about six... And we're right there, you know, closer to the end. And then what happens? The, the, the earth is destroyed. It's burned up with fire. It, it, it melts with a fervent heat. It passed away. And God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And what happens after that? There's eternity that way. But again, we're thinking in, in a linear fashion. We have to stop thinking in a linear fashion. We actually have to stop thinking about time. Now, again, that's hard for us, which are creatures of time, to even fathom. And I know it just, you know, you start talking about Newtonian and Einstein physics and all that garbage. I get it. I shouldn't say garbage. It's very interesting. But, you know, you start thinking about all that and we get into the science of it and all of that. But I will tell you this. Here's the great thing to understand is that there's eternity that way. There's eternity that way. God's in both of them. Where are you going to be when you spend eternity? You want to be in the presence of the Lord. Not in a lake of fire. Receive Christ today as your Savior. But what we find very clearly here is he makes it very well known that from that point of everlasting to the point of everlasting here and then beyond that point, God's mercy is always constant. Fathers, mercy should not be something that you have to go find when you need it. Mercy should be from the beginning of that child's life to the very end. Mercy must be part of who you are. Otherwise, you will never understand what it means to forgive. And trust me, if you're a father, if you're a mom, if you're a parent, guess what? You will have to learn forgiveness. You will have to learn forgiveness. There's a reason why God makes that relationship as a father and a child. There's a reason why he does that. And we find here in verse, uh, verse 18, it says, To as such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. And here he's, he's saying, look, that mercy is necessary when those individuals are fearing. Now look, You know what? God understands very clearly what happens when we do sin. But again, as we go back up there into the previous verses that I read, it says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, uh, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As far as east is from west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. You know what? As a father, you know what you need to have? When it comes to the sins that your your children commit, when you correct them and they're convicted and repentance is there, you know what you do with them? You remove them. They're not part of your life anymore. They're not part of the child's life. Don't dangle it over them. 
Don't hold it over them. That is one of the most wicked things you could ever do. If you love your child, you will forgive your child. If you love your child, you will have mercy towards your child. If you love your child, you know what you will do? You will do the exact same thing the way that God loves you. Aren't we glad God doesn't dangle our sins over us? Aren't you glad that he doesn't, you know, wake you up in the morning and go, hey, you remember that sin that you did like, you know, how many ever years ago? And you're like, remember the one you did yesterday? Aren't you, I mean, have you ever thought about how good God is? Just to understand that simple concept? Now look, I understand we're still reaping what we sow, and I understand the consequences of all of that, but here he's setting a pattern of what we as fathers should be, how we should be an individual that, 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 that is, is willing to reconcile, that is willing to restore, that is willing to forgive, that is willing to have mercy, that is willing to come and to teach and to grow and to continue to be there for that child every single step of the way. Yet, we have an epidemic of absent fathers. And we could say that's the problem with the United States of America. We could say that the problem with the United States of America is we don't value human life. We can say all of that. We could say the problem with the United States of America is we've got Democrats and Republicans. We could say that the problem with the United States of America is we've got government. We should all be anarchists, right? No. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you can insert whatever you want to insert in there. But you know what the problem with the United States of America is? We've got a God problem. He's not here. He's not here. And he's not here because he's not present in the families. And the reason he's not present in the families is because he's not present in the children, because he's not present in the parents. And fathers, as the head of that house, as the one that is going to have to give an account for it, God should be in your life. He should be your only life. He should be coming out of every pore of who you are, as he says in verse 1, all of you. All that is within me. All that is within me. Now look, I know we sometimes think that's a tall order. But again, God is not going to give us an expectation that is unattainable. God will give us the expectation. God will give us the ability. God will give us the tools. And God will help us every step of the way because he will never leave us nor forsake us. You know, fathers, when we begin to realize what this pattern is, we see it very clearly. We see it very clearly. We, we, we find that throughout Scripture, there's all sorts of patterns that are set. I mean, one of the most disturbing things is you go over to, 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 to 1 Kings chapter 11, and you find all this stuff out about Solomon, and it says that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Turn, to, turn there. Turn over to 1 Kings. I want you to see this. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. 
In this example, in 1 Kings 11, <clears throat> jump down there to verse 6. <clears throat> in verse 6 it says, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And here's how he describes that evil. And went not fully after the Lord as as did David his father. Did David mess up? Oh, yeah. (laughs) A couple of times. It was forever preserved, right? But you know what? David still went after the Lord. Solomon didn't. What happened with Solomon's son, Rehoboam? What happened after that? We find all these kings doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and they either did it as according to their fathers, or they didn't follow after their fathers. So I understand it is a choice. I totally get it. Do you know what we need to be? We need to be the example that fully goes after the Lord. We need to be the the example, and we need to do what God has asked us to do as fathers. To stand up and say, as for me, I will choose God. He will be my God. I will be His. And I will demonstrate that in every area of my life. Fathers, God has an expectation for us. And trust me, I'm very well aware of it. I'm very well aware of it. I may be very also well aware of my failings. Am I ever going to say I was a perfect dad or a perfect father? No. I'm not that full of myself. But you know what? If my daughters please the Lord and serve Him, I've done what I could. I've done what I could. Fathers, are we following the pattern of fatherhood from God? Are we following the pattern that He set for us in His Word and His demonstration towards us? That's a big responsibility, isn't it? It's huge. Let's understand this. God will lead us through how to do that. But we have to be willing to listen to Him. We have to be willing to listen to Him. All these characteristics talk about His holy, His holiness and who God is. We should mirror and follow this so that we can show Christ to our children. Let's purpose in our hearts to do that today. Don't worry about the past. Worry about what you're doing now. Can't fix the past. If you spend your time worrying about the past, you will drive yourself crazy. You worry about the present and what God's doing in your life now, you'll have peace. You worry about the future and the frustrations that may be there, 
again, you'll drive yourself crazy. Peace comes living in the present. The moment that is always surrendered to Christ. Be that father that God has expected us to be. Let's close with prayer. Let's go ahead and stand. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just look at one aspect of what it means to be a father. And Lord, there are so many things that, I, that, that could have been selected. And I know that throughout this, uh, throughout this world, that to people that are celebrating fathers and what they have done, that Lord, I, I, I know that there's many different messages. But Lord, there is one message that is clear. You have an expectation of us. Lord, teach us to fulfill it. Give us a heart to desire it. And Lord, just work in our, 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 our souls, Lord, to fulfill that will of you. I thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us this day. And Lord, may we continue to praise you and worship you as we sing these hymns in closing. And I thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.